You're listening to The Great Coaches Podcast. Hi everyone, Paul here, and just a quick message from me to let you know that if you are looking to improve the performance of your team, no matter whether it is a work, sporting, or community one, then we've developed some tools to help. On the website, you will find our Thriving Teams Diagnostic, which uses insights from the more than 200 great coaches we have interviewed to challenge you with a series of questions to help you understand how your team is performing. It's free and only takes a few minutes to complete. If you'd like to know more, you can check out our website, thegreatcoachespodcast.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Welcome to the Great Coaches Podcast. To me, being perfect is not about that scoreboard out there. This is a chance of lifetime. When you can understand the person, you can then work towards a common goal. We are all on the same team. Now you roll and do it to the best of your ability. Focus on the fundamentals. We've gone over time and time again. Your defense has got to be better. Leave no doubt tonight. Great moments are born from great opportunity. Hello and welcome to the Great Coaches Podcast where we believe there is no algorithm for leadership. And so we interview great sports coaches from around the world to try and find ideas to help all of us lead our families, our colleagues, and our teams better. Our great coach on this episode is Doug McLean. Doug is a former ice hockey head coach, GM, and sportscaster. His coaching career started in his hometown of Summerside with high school teams. By 1990, he had his first professional job leading the Baltimore Skipjacks. A successful stint there saw him move to the Detroit Red Wings as an assistant coach and ultimately to the head coach role at the Florida Panthers in 1995. In his first season, he led them to the Stanley Cup playoffs. In 98, he moved to the Columbus Blue Jackets as the GM and commenced the second phase of his career. Then, in 2008, he rounded out that career in professional hockey by moving into broadcasting. Doug is a great storyteller, and some of the highlights of our discussion were how one of the most rewarding experiences of his life was starting a franchise from scratch, his view on being direct and that you can never be too honest, even though he once made an NHL player cry. 
and how in a healthy team culture, players want to get to practice and they care about doing their bit for the group. This really was a wonderful conversation and I hope you enjoy it as much as we did. But just before we get to the interview, if you enjoy listening to the podcast and would like to learn more, you can head over to our website, thegreatcoachespodcast.com. There, you will find more video and podcast content taken from the 150 plus interviews we have produced with some of the world's greatest coaches. You'll also find our insight database where we have snipped out insights from the videos of our interviews on leadership topics like culture, communication, and conflict. You can search through by keyword, sport, or coach, download, and share them. We'll be adding to it regularly as we interview more great coaches from around the world. We also have a newsletter that features information on our latest podcasts, leadership insights from our guests, recommendations they have on books, articles or other media, as well as information on how you can engage with other people who listen to the podcast in our live events. And now please enjoy our interview with Doug McLean. You're listening to The Great Coaches Podcast. Doug McLean, good morning and welcome to The Great Coaches Podcast. Yeah, thanks. Uh, it's it's uh, an honor. I, I actually saw the the podcast listed somewhere and I thought that's a really interesting uh, looking podcast and Lo and behold, I get invited to go on it, which is pretty bizarre because I think, if I'm not mistaken, it said great coaches. I'm not <laughs> sure I fit that category. <laughs> well, do you know every person I interview says the same thing? So we might go through your story and then we can uh, let the audience decide whether you fit into that uh, great coach bracket. But I think you are a great coach, but for, I think, reasons that are a little different from others and they'll become clear as we, we move along. But Doug, could I start with something really simple? Where are you in the world and what have you been doing so far today? Well, I'm in uh, Prince Edward Island, Canada, which is an island off the east coast, off Nova Scotia. Um, and it's a place where I was actually born and played my minor hockey in Prince Edward Island. My family was all here, or obviously all here, and uh, went to college at the University of Prince Edward Island. And became a school teacher, uh, <clears throat> high school teacher for seven years before I get into professional coaching. Coached the local high school junior team prior to uh, becoming an NHL coach. So Prince Edward Island has been an amazing part of my life. Doug, you've had some great experience up close with some some fantastic ice hockey coaches. I can when I was researching you, I saw names like. Brian Murray, his brother Terry, Don Boyd, Jacques Martin, and of course uh, Scott Bowman. And I'm I'm wondering, from seeing all these people up close, and watching them work, what is it you think the great coaches do differently that sets them apart? Wow, that, that's a really great question. And I think about Brian was my mentor. I worked with him as an assistant coach. I was his head coach when he became a general manager. Guy that I just endlessly and a great leader. But guy that really 
cared about his players. Um, he, uh, you know, he was a fair, straight shooter. And I think the one trait that I, you know, besides being a good person and all those things, he managed the room better than any coach I know. Like one of the biggest challenges of a head coach in the National Hockey League, because, you know, you've got a group that don't like you and a group that really hate you and a group that really like you. And Brian was able to manage the room with the best of them and keep a cohesive dressing room. I, I think I admired that. Besides the fact he knew the game and he could teach the game, a former high school teacher himself, I have a unbelievable, and Brian just passed away a few short years ago, and I, I, I worked with him for 10, 12 years, and I, I miss him, and I admire him so much. And if it wasn't for Brian Murray, I wouldn't have been an NHL head coach, general manager, president, any of those jobs. Brian was really the guy. So I just think good person, fair, straight shooter, managed the room, and knew the game. Scotty Bowman, different. Scotty Bowman, the greatest coach in the history of the National Hockey League. Nine Stanley Cup rings. The most rings, any most championships of any NHL coach. He was hard as nails, tough, miserable. Players shook their heads. They could never figure him out. They just he drove them crazy. All he ever did was win. Oh, I, I said to a guy, must have been amazing. You won three Stanley Scotty, must have been an amazing or you won five Stanley Cups with Scotty with the Montreal Canadiens. He must have been an amazing coach. He said, if it wasn't for Scotty, we would have won seven. I talked to him every once in a while. Um, I was doing a radio show in Toronto uh, for a long time and I used to get texts from him all the time saying, hey, I love your take. I really respect what you're saying. And I thought, oh, my God, how great a compliment is that, that Scotty Bowman would say that about what I'm saying about hockey. So he's a legend. So I got a chance to be around Ryan Murray, who I consider a legend, and Scotty Bowman, who definitely is a legend of the game of hockey. Doug, your first job back in 1977, was coaching junior hockey. Then in 81, you became the first head coach of the Summerside Western Capitals. They were an expansion franchise. And I'm just wondering, as you cast your mind back to that time, what did you actually learn about setting up a team culture from that role? Well, you know what? I was was actually a kid. I mean, I was 23 uh, out of college. Uh, played college hockey and tried went to uh, St. Louis Blues, the NHL, their training camp, and thought I was going to be a, pl- a pro player. And I end up back in my hometown teaching high school, and then got. You know what? I I really felt like I was really ready to coach. That I had had you know good experience as a player and playing for the Montreal Junior Canadiens and playing college hockey and good competitive hockey all the way up through that. I wanted to be a high school teacher bad. And I also wanted to be a coach. And setting up a culture is always – and I go back to what I said about Brian Murray. <clears throat> Brian was a straight shooter. I was a straight shooter. And I think if you're honest with your players, 
setting up that culture is is easier and you teach the life skills of the game the winning seems to happen and uh you know we had good success when i was a high school coach i had success when i was a junior coach i had success i wish i would have had more success uh, later on than i did early on but that happens but setting up the culture was i always thought set up a healthy culture, a healthy environment, and the, the players want to get to practice, and they want to practice, and they really want to win for the team, and, uh, and you care about the group. Uh, I think culture looks after itself. So, Doug, you go from that experience to 1989 when you get your first chance of being a head coach at the pro level with the Baltimore Skipjacks. However, on this occasion, it's kind of different because you take over from the great coach we talk, talked about in the intro, Terry Murray. And I'm wondering, how did you have to adjust your style when taking over from a leader like Terry? Well, it was a really bizarre experience. And I don't know if you know what happened, but I was the assistant coach with the Washington Capitals with Brian Murray as the head coach, and I was his assistant. Terry was coaching Baltimore at the time, our farm team. And Brian gets fired in Washington and Terry takes over for him. So this is brothers. One brother gets fired for the other brother. And I'm in the middle of it thinking, are you kidding me? So I go to Baltimore to take over for Terry. Terry goes to Washington to take over for his brother as a head coach. Terry Murray, uh, interesting guy. He and I have had our battles over the years, I got to tell you. Um, you know, we were sort of rivals because I was Ter- Brian's assistant for a long time in the NHL. And Terry was, you know, had been Brian's assistant. There was a little bit of a internal battle there. But I always really respect Terry's knowledge of the game and the way he taught the game. He was a great teacher of the game. So when I go to Baltimore to take over from, they had a good team. Terry was a taskmaster. He was he was tough on his players. Um, so I went in there, and I was a different personality than Terry. And I think it was a nice, skilled, real skilled technician. And uh, I went in, I was a little more laid back. And I think it was a really good fit uh, for me to take over for him because they had the basic fundamentals of the game down there, systematic the systems were really in place and it was an easy takeover um, to take over from Terry. And we've talked a lot over the years, actually. And last time I saw him was at Brian's funeral. We had a great chat. Terry went on to coach uh, a lot in the NHL. I coached against him with the Philadelphia Flyers. I coached against him when he's head coach of the LA Kings. So we sort of had an intertwined career for a long time. But Terry was a great great coach, good person. And uh, it's just that we were sort of rivals all the way through. You know what I mean? I'd love to know what Terry would say about me. Maybe he wouldn't be as, you know, oh, well, it would be fun. Well, I'll chase him down and interview him next. I'll ask him that very question. (laughs) Exactly. So this is where your story starts to get even more interesting because your apprenticeship finishes in 95 and you go off and you're appointed as the head coach of the Florida Panthers in the NHL and you make it all the way to the Stanley Cup in that first year. Now, I'm intrigued. First year, Stanley Cup, 
What did you do when you first got there that helped drive that result? You know, I'll, I'll never forget the day I got the job, and it was sort of out of the blue that uh, Brian Murray was the general manager. And I'll never forget uh, interviewing with Brian, and it was at a restaurant in Detroit, because we had been in Detroit together before I got the Florida job, Brian and I. We're interviewing at, I'll never forget, a fast food place called Bob's Big Boy. And we're sitting in a booth, and I said, Brian, I really want this head coaching job. And he said, Doug, he said, uh, our owner, Wayne Huizinga, who was, you know, blockbuster video, one of the most famous American entrepreneurs at the time, billionaire guy that owned the team, was really looking for a more famous coach. And I, Brian's sort of saying, hey, Doug, I'd love to, you know, I just don't know where Wayne would be on this hire. You know, you've been assistant coach and a little bit of head coaching experience. I don't know. And I said, I looked at Brian squarely in the eyes and I said, Brian, I'm going to tell you this right now. We've been together for seven or eight years. You'd be an idiot not to hire me for this job. <laughs> and he looked at me and he said, huh? so he said, okay, we ended that meeting. I didn't know I was getting the job or not, but he said, let me talk to Wayne and let me talk to Bill Torrey, who was our president, famous hockey guy, Bill Torrey from New York Islander fame. And, uh, Probably two months later, at the draft in Edmonton in July, uh, Brian called me into a meeting, and he and Bill Torrey, and they said, we're going to offer you the job. And uh, honest to God, it was the highlight of my life. It was the highlight of my life. And he and I was making, I think I was making about 100 grand a year, and he said, we're going to give you a three-year contract, 250, 275, 300. And I'm thinking... I just made a million dollars in three years. And you know what? It, it, uh, it just took off. But I'll tell you what was the most bizarre thing. I got the job and I phoned Brian Scrudlin, who was our captain, who I had never met. And li he lived in Calgary. I phoned Brian. I said, Brian, I want to introduce myself. Doug McLean, uh, new head coach. He said, oh, great, great, great. He said, uh, I said, really, I'm really excited. He said, Doug, let me just, let me just tell you this. We have a really good team. This was the third year of this franchise, the start of the third year of the franchise. He said, Doug, we've got a unique group and we've got a really good team. I, I just want you to know that as you come in. And I, you know, I knew they had been competitive, but I'm telling you, I went in there because of Brian Scrutland's motivational speech that he gave the new head coach, the captain. I went in there pretty pumped. And you know what? We lost the first game in New Jersey, and I'm flying home on our team plane, and I'm a little uptight. Brian comes and sits with me, and he's a little uptight. We didn't play great. Then we won five in a row. At Christmas, we're in first place in the entire NHL. At the All-Star break, we're in first place in the entire NHL, and I was awarded to be the All NHL All-Star coach that year. And I'm thinking, oh, my God. God, what is going on? This is a third-year team, but they just had so much character. They were sort of looking to break out as a group and be a little more free-flowing. Uh, Roger Nielsen, the great Roger Nielsen, had coached them for two years, and I took his place. Very solid, great defensive coach. The team learned a great defensive system, so I opened the game up a little bit, and they flourished. I mean, we were one, hard to believe, 
we were one of the best teams in the league all year. And I've never seen a group of players with such character. I look at them now today, all the years since 96, and almost every guy in that team has had a wonderful career. Whether it was in real estate, whether it was in coaching, whether it was in management, whatever they got in, they were all successful people. And I still keep in touch with a lot of them, run into a lot of them. They were a unique group. And for us to go as a third-year expansion team to the Stanley Cup final was one of the most bizarre things in the history of the NHL. It really was. Because it does, didn't happen. Like Today it happens a little bit more, but in those days it was unheard of. And it was a, a it was an amazing group of individuals. And they just they just competed. Um, you know, we had good structure, we had good systems, we had great goaltending with John Van Beesbrook, but they were they were a special group. They really were. And a lot of them are coaches and general managers in the NHL today, which is really pretty rewarding to see. Well, what's fascinating is unfortunately that that Stanley Cup didn't fall your way, but your career takes a Fascinating turn from here because you leave head coaching and you become a general manager and not just any general manager. You, you head off to Columbus and oh. they become one of the most successful organisations in the NHL. And I'm I'm really curious, Doug, you've had these two different roles and we haven't even got into the third one yet as an author and a sportscaster, but what have these different roles taught you about the art of leadership? Uh, you know, the, the uh, to become the... Uh... You know, when I finished coaching, it was a really big decision to leave coaching and go into management. And you do it because you get an offer, you know. And uh, I, I remember getting a call from the Columbus owner asking if I'd be interested in talking to him about the job. Um, and I I meet with him and I'm, I'm thinking, okay, just a minute. You're getting an opportunity to start a franchise from scratch. And I remember walking into my office when I got the job in Columbus. We we're still a year and a half before we played a game. And there was like an empty pad of paper on the desk. And I had to hire 250 people to run our franchise. We had to build a building. We had to sell hockey in Columbus, Ohio, which was not a hockey town. It was Ohio State football, famous football country. I'm thinking like, what have I got myself into here? But it was one of the, you know, I did 11 years in Columbus and it was one of the most rewarding experiences you could ever have in your life. Starting a franchise from scratch and having to hire every person in there or my, you know, hire the key people and they hire their people. And, you know, to build up to opening night uh, with a brand new building, a brand new staff, a brand new hockey staff a brand new team, the infrastructure of the building, a thousand people working in the building on opening night and thinking, wow, this is, this is pretty cool. And I remember my parents flew up from PEI for opening night. My owner sent his private jet to pick them up, to bring them to Columbus and bring my family there. It was just, it was an amazing, amazing experience. So I, you know, it was tough. I, I, I was always torn between coaching and management, but um, coaching, management, really different. Management, you have to look at the big picture. You have to look long range. 
uh, it was a whole different uh, kettle of fish for me. And it, it wasn't easy. It wasn't easy. And I sit here today thinking, I wish I had to do it over again. I would have done, I would have done, you know, when you can sit back and look at the big picture to say, wow, I get in there and thought I was a know-it-all and wow, I learned a lot. And there was a lot I didn't know, but you know, it was, uh, it was just an amazing, it was an experience, well, you know, coached an expansion team to the Stanley Cup, starting an, an NHL team from scratch not many people get to do that and I'm really lucky and I ended up with you know a 24 year career in the NHL and but I do say this I wish I would have had a few things over <laughs> I wish I would have had a, you know a couple of things to redo like a lot of things but that's life you know tell us tell us about one or two of them well you know what I'll tell you the biggest challenge in professional hockey professional sports is dealing with the media it's it's a really tough tough job. You you finish a game where it's it's a it's a war out there. It's it's a battle. It's it's you know every shift is important. And then you finish a game, and ten minutes later you're in front of a media throng of media people, and you just I after I spent years in the media I thought. Damn it! I wish I would have been a media guy first before I was a coach because I got you—you sh- you, you get short with them, you get confrontational, you you say things you shouldn't have said, and I and I I sit back today and I I regret that I wasn't better at that. And it's funny how many people I've talked to about that. How many coaches? I'll see a young coach in the NHL sort of go off in the media after a game, and I'll send him a text. You know, because I know this kid really well. He's a great NHL coach. And I sent him a note. I said, just be calm. Be calm. Don't, you know, just, you know, try to let things happen. You know, let it happen. Don't don't be confrontational. And, uh, you know, so I, I that's, that's the number one thing, really. I, I don't have any regrets how I treated people. I think back of all of players I had and coaches and scouts and people that work for me, there's not a person that I would feel uncomfortable with meeting and sitting down and having a beer or a coffee or a sandwich with. I, I, I liked, I liked all the people. I didn't like how some of them played, but I always liked them as people. And I think that's the, that's a regret about me, uh, the media side of it. But the greatest thing is you meet unbelievable people from my first year in the NHL through the 24 years to the end. I mean, I still run into people and love, love spending time with guys that I coached 25 years ago. My son deals with a guy in Chicago who was a player on the first NHL team I coached in St. Louis in 1987. So, you know what? The year my son was born... That guy he deals with from a hockey basis was on my team in '87 in St. Louis. Gino Cavallini was his name, and I, you know, I so I think of all the great memories and all the people I've met, and uh, I think that's more important than how good a coach you were. You know that I think the friendships, the the people you meet, the the challenges you face, but still a 
what I mean, seriously, I think, how did I make a living? How did I make a living doing this? How lucky was I, you know? There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You definitely were lucky. You've, uh, you've had a, we're only halfway through the story, I guess. And what's interesting about your career is and researching you and learning about you for today People keep describing you as being honest and truthful. It comes up time and time and time again. So you've clearly built some equity in that area. But it got me thinking, you know, a long career in, a, in the cutthroat world, as you described it, it's like a war out there. When you're in this kind of environment and it comes to leading people, either on the ice or up in the office, can you ever be too honest Uh, you know, that's a great question. Um, I, I don't know if you can ever be too honest. I, I really, I, I really don't think you can be. I mean, I know there's a ton of coaches that are, are more aloof, not dishonest. I don't mean that, but more aloof. Uh, I, I just, my personality is I want to, to, I wanted to relate to the guys. I wanted to have a bit of a relate. I don't mean a cozy color. I, look, I had I had guys in my room. I'd give them a blast so bad that I often said, I said, the weirdest thing that ever happened in my life is I'm yelling at a player in the dressing room and I didn't play in the NHL and he starts to cry. And I'm thinking, oh my God, I just made an NHL player cry. You know, like, what the hell am I doing here? How, you know, I mean, because these players... They put their career on the line every day. It, it, it's one thing to make the NHL, which a minuscule number of people make the top, top of the top. And then to stay there is even more pressure because somebody's trying to take your job every day. I just, I just thought it was better to be honest. And maybe was I too honest? I, I don't think so. I think I was just a straight shooter. And I, I know how I would like to be treated. And how I wish I, you know, I mean, how you hope to be treated in your career by your bosses. And uh, I just never thought there was any other way. And I think, you know, I don't have regrets about that. I have regrets about a few things, but not about being honest with players and being a straight shooter. Uh, too many people in our business play games. And uh, I, I know when I was in the media, I started to call out those games and sometimes it wasn't very popular, but you know, I mean, I, I would rather, I would rather go with the honest approach, you know, like I often, I, I, I say to minor hockey coaches all the time, 
one of the greatest tests of a minor hockey coach is if the kid that's playing for you finishes the season and he says to his dad, man, I learned a lot from that coach this year and I really, really would like to play for him again. I said, if your kid on your team really wants to play for you again next year, you're a successful coach. That means something, you know? So I, you know, I think guys enjoyed playing for me. Although, I mean, look, lots of times, I'll never forget uh, Lindy Ruff, the coach for the New Jersey Devils, who just lost out in the playoffs, was my assistant coach. I'm on the bench. Ray Shepard, 50-goal score for me in Florida. 50-goal score when I coached him in Detroit. And I'm yelling at him on the bench, and I'm in his ear on the bench. And I never thought a thing of it. Lindy calls me in the next morning. We're doing our video set up for our team meeting. He said, look at this. So I'm yelling in, Li- in Ray Shepard's ear on the bench about a play. And the camera zooms in on me yelling on, at Ray. And Ray's rolling his eyes in his head as I'm giving him hell. So we put it on the, in the video meeting. I said, hey, Shep, I really see you like my points I made to you last night. We showed a close-up of him rolling his eyes. Well, when I run into Shep today, he plays at the golf course 20 minutes from my house in Florida. Uh, we, we laugh about it, you know. But it's so Lindy, who's been on to be a great coach in Buffalo and, uh, and with New Jersey Devils and Dallas and one of my great friends, we, we had lots of laughs over that. So, you know, what? I, I just think that, you know, the relationship with players is really, really important from a teaching perspective and a managing perspective to, to get the most out of them. You, you have to teach them. You have to, you have to show a player, and especially as an assistant coach, the, the number one thing you have to do is I can make you a better player. And, and if they believe that, they'll listen to everything you say. If they don't believe it, you're done. So help make them a better player. Help them last longer in the league. Give them chances. That's what it's all about. You, you, you can't come in as an NHL assistant coach or coach and just roll on. Players have got to believe you can help them. Help them win and help them be better. That's what it's all about. Now, in that answer there, you talked about people wanting to take your job. Of course, you've talked about it already a few times in this interview, being sacked, being fired, being moved on. It's part of life in in professional sports. But I'm just wondering, when younger people, coaches or players, come to you these days and ask for advice about being fired, about dealing with it, about bouncing back from it, what do you tell them? You know, it's interesting with with the general population with respect to coaches being fired. They say, well, that's part of the job. That's part of it. And and I recall when I got fired, it was devastating. It was was devastating. uh, Probably partially because I hadn't been a former NHL player. And I thought, okay, this is what happens here. How do I survive? How do I get another job? And you know what? It was awful. Uh, my first time I got fired, I was assistant coach of the Washington Capitals. Jill was pregnant. Wife Jill was pregnant to my daughter, Mackenzie. I had $500 in my bank account. 
and we had to leave the states because our our health insurance was running out. And I'm thinking, what? I'm an NHL coach and assistant coach, and it wasn't, you know, it was enough to live on. And I'm thinking, okay, we we sorry, we got to be out of here. We got to leave the country. You're pregnant. I've got five hundred dollars in my bank account, and we got to go. We got to move. And it was it was tough. Uh, Jill and I, we've been married forty six years. In our marriage, we lived in 29 houses in our lives. And that meant it was we'd move to a new city. I'd, we'd rent the first year. We'd buy the second year, and I'd get fired the third year. And then we'd rent, buy. So, you know what? It, it was a big, it was a part of our life of getting fired. I, I often say every time I got fired, I doubled my salary. Every time. And I was just talking to Gerard Gallant, uh, just fired his coach of the New York Rangers. A kid I taught in high school, by the way, taught Gerard in high school, just got fired as a Ranger coach. And we're t- he was telling me that every time he gets fired, he doubles his salary. I said, well, that happened to me too for a while, Gerard. And then all of a sudden it went to a third. When I went to the media, it went to a third. So don't always think it's going to double. <laughs> anyway, that's, it's tough. It's, a, it's the toughest part of the job. And nobody understands it except the guy that's in the trenches and it happens to. And it's and, and when I had to fire coaches, I hated it. I hated it. And as a general manager, I had to fire a couple of coaches and I, I didn't like it a little bit. You know. Well, I want to ask you about this third career you've got. You one you just alluded alluded to that's a third of the salary. You carved out a third career, a very successful career as an analyst and a sports broadcaster. But the question is, how would Doug McLean, the coach, respond to you as a sports analyst? A media person in Columbus um, said to a friend of mine, this is a guy I didn't have a great relationship with in Columbus. He said, Doug McLean, the coach, would hate Doug McLean, the analyst. <laughs> and I thought, you know, he's probably right. You know, but you know what? It's, it's sort of funny. I, it sort of happened. And I, I was so burnt out when I got, when I left Columbus after 11 years, uh, I was burnt out and I thought, and I got a chance to go in and, you know, go to Toronto and work in TV and radio. But Hey, let's, try this. Let's try this. And I went in and it was my start of my, I just did a little bit part-time for you. And then when I went in, they offered me a full-time job. And the, and the boss said to me, Doug, if you are doing this job to get another head coaching job or a GM's job, you're not going to be successful because I need you to tell it the way it is. I need you to tell it the way it is. And you're going to ruffle some feathers. Well, I should have probably not listened to him because I told it the way it was. And I'm not sure it helped me my career. I had a couple other opportunities to go back to the NHL and, and secondary type jobs. And I, I never really jumped at it. And then, you know, I, I had a 10-year career in radio, TV, and I, I really, really enjoyed it. I really did. And, you know, we had a, we had a great show uh, that was huge in Canada and the U.S. 
uh, Hockey Central at noon with Nick Kiprios and Darren Millard and two amazing people. Nick, who I had coached, by the way, in Baltimore, which is hard to believe, and with the Washington Capitals, ended up. The way I got the job was Nick had played for me in Washington and Baltimore. And when I got uh, fired, he he phoned me and said, hey, uh, do you want me to talk to the bosses about you coming to work with us in Columbus? And this is Nick, who was a kid I used to deal with in the dressing room and a good guy. And uh, we've hit we we hit it off as a great team. And uh, so it's funny how a guy that I coached in the Baltimore Skipjacks helped me get a job in the media. So it's pretty bizarre. So I, I had a, I had a wonderful run and uh, I, uh, I, it was a great way to see the game, watch the game, study the game, deal with people in the game and talk about the game. It was a great combination. And I, I really, I, I've got to say I really enjoyed it, you know. Well, now, of course, there's the there's the fourth element of the career, which is the book you've got coming out later this year, and it's called Draft Day, How Hockey Teams Pick Winners or Get Left Behind. Could you tell us what was the impetus for the book? Well, it's funny. I, I uh, retired sports end. I was uh, 66 years of age. And I get a call from Simon and Schuster, the the publishing company and uh, uh, book publishing company, and the guy phones me. Uh, actually, it was an agent phoning me, a book a literary agent phoning me. So they, I, I, Simon Schuster, phoned me. They they listened to you on the show. They knew your career. Would you consider doing a book? And I, uh, no, I, I really don't want to do a book. I, I really have no like guys. I thought it was a book about me. And I said, no, I, I really have no interest in that. And he said, no, no, it's a book about the draft, your experiences with the draft. And then that changed it totally because I thought, wow. Uh, but you know what? I, it was three years writing this book. One of the biggest challenges I've ever had in my life. I mean, I had written an email before. I had written an email. And I had gone, you know, I had my master's from in educational psychology from college. and I, But that was 100 years ago. And I'm thinking got to write well i took my my wife jill got me a you know a thing for a printer not a printer but a thing for my ipad that i could type on and i started outlining chapters and you know making notes and i would i, I wrote 14 chapters 7000 words over the last in, in a in a year and a half just about my stories and it was and Scott Morrison, who wrote with me, was a great writer. As I say, you put he put the commas and periods in, but he did a lot more than that. He 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 was my writer. But one of the great experiences, and I, I talked to a ton of GMs, a ton of coaches, uh, hockey executives about the book, you know, for the book. And now I see it finished coming out in October. It's kind of exciting, you know, something I never thought I'd ever do. And um, it was a challenge, let me tell you, to sit and write and think about stories. Then I'd go to bed at night and who the hell is ever going to read this book? You know, so we'll see what happens with it when it comes out. Oh, but I, I, it's got some great stories, and it, I think it's a, it's going to be a pretty good resource for hockey people. I really do. Well, without giving too much away, I'd really like <laughs> to know what you've learned about selecting players on draft day to join an organization? 
Well, I'll tell you what. Um, the draft, the gist of the book is if you don't, if an NHL team doesn't have at least 10 of their own draft picks on their team, they typically don't win the Stanley Cup. So drafting is so, so important. And you know what? I had a lot of hits and misses because you're drafting 17 and 18 year olds. And it is one of the toughest. And every team has made colossal mistakes and every team has made great picks. But when you're drafting 18 year olds, it is, it is a crapshoot. It really is. It is so now it's a little more refined when I, than when I was there, but it's still, you just, if you just don't know if an 18 year old is going to be a player at 21, you just don't know that. So I go through the book and I, I learn a lot about it. And when I say I'd like to have a do over with my media relations at times, if I could go back, I think if I could go back now and draft after reading my book a hundred times, I think I'd be better at it. But there's one great story in there. Uh, Nick Kiprio said to me, I made a selection in one draft where I took Jill Bear Brule at number six. And the battle at our table, the battle all year was, do we take Briere or Kopitar? And Kopitar was sitting there at six, and I took Briere. And I made the call to take him. And Kopitar went 11 to L.A., kid from Slovenia. Briere, or Brule played 175 games in the NHL. Kopitar is still playing with the L.A. Kings. And he was picked 11th. So I picked six. I, I didn't take him at six, and he didn't go to 11. So there's a lot of guys the same as me that weren't that smart, you know, after me. So Nick Caprio said to me one day, what do you think that pick you taken Brule ahead of Kopitar cost you as an NHL general manager? I said, well, I would say taking Brule instead of Kopitar personally cost me about $30 million because I probably would still be a general manager today if I took Kopitar. You know what? It would, and I think back, oh, my God, you know how many nights I lost sleep over thinking about that? But And I've been ripped for that pick, but it, it's a great chapter in the book about why we went with that decision and why taking an 18-year-old, you just, you just don't know. And there were seven or eight guys after me that made the same mistake, but it, it haunts me to this day. It haunts me, you know? So it's kind of funny. So the writing of the book really gave me another look at the whole NHL picture. And it was, it was fun to do, you know, but a ton of work. There will be no second book. Let me tell you, I'll do podcasts, but no second book. <laughs> well, we're very happy that you're doing podcasts, uh, but maybe we can talk about that second book uh, off air. But I want to ask you about your childhood, because if I could take you back, Doug, Knowing what you know now, if I could take you back and introduce you to that that boy that was skating around Carhill Stadium for hours and hours and hours on end, knowing what you know now, what would you say to him? Well, you know what? 
I, uh, I'll never forget uh, mom and dad telling me that when they took me to skate for the first time at Cal stadium, they put me on the ice as a five-year-old and they mom came home and the, the, mom and dad were trying to say, you know, we never have to worry about Doug being in hockey. He's not going to be a player watching him, you know? And it became a huge part of my life. And I guess I would say it, and I've said it to my own son uh, when he Clark was growing up as a young player. You, 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 number one, to make it in hockey, you have to love the game. You've got to love the game. If you don't love the game, you don't have a chance. There's some players in the NHL that don't really love the game, but huge percentage of them love the game. So if you love the game, chase your dreams. I went as far as Montreal Junior Canadiens, St. Louis Blues NHL training camp, played junior hockey in a, a way. I left home when I was 16 to, to pursue the dream, 1,000 miles away in Montreal uh, as a kid. It was one the greatest experiences of my life to to go away and try to be an NHL player. And then when I did become an NHL player and, and became a high school teacher, my dream was to be a coach. And to make the NHL as an NHL coach from coaching in Summerside PI, it's a long way away. And I I'm I just so I guess it's everybody says chase your dreams and but I, I just believe in yourself and you know shoot for as high as you can and it's amazing if you fall short you're still pretty you're still in pretty good shape so you got to chase your dreams and i i dreamt about being a player and a coach that's all i ever dreamt about and i got to spend my whole career in hockey how lucky am i seriously unbelievably lucky Doug, you've retired you've come out and said that from both coaching and GM work, and you've also stepped back, well, mostly from the media work, but of course you've got the book out. But the final question I'd like to ask you is, sitting here now in Prince Edward Island, reflecting on all of these people that you've interacted with, all these organisations you've been a part of, and people that you're still in contact today from, from your time when you were in your late teens, what do you think the legacy is that you've left with these people? Oh, I never really thought of that because uh, I think uh, I always think of legacies as things for famous people, you know. You know, but I don't, I don't consider myself that. I, I, I often wonder, you know, what people would say about me when I'm when I'm, I'm gone, and I, 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 I think it comes back to. The thing I'm most proud of is treat people well, treat people right, be honest and a straight shooter. And uh, sometimes it gets you in trouble, but I, I think that's, that's uh, uh, you know what, uh, a, a loyal person, a loyal friend, a loyal teammate, a loyal co-worker. That's what I'd be. If people said I was just a you know, an honest, loyal, straight shooter, I'd be pretty happy. I think honest, loyal, and straight shooting, probably a pretty good way for us to finish. So, Doug, thank you so much for carving out a little bit of time today. I 
I do appreciate hearing your story. Uh, I have appreciated learning a lot about your background and learning a little bit more about ice hockey as well. And I wish you all the best for the publication of the book. Appreciate it very much. And thanks for having me on. I, I really enjoyed it. And very, very insightful questions. I typically don't get that in interviews, you know, <laughs> where, I, where I have to really think. Thanks, Doug. made me think. <laughs> thanks, Paul. Hi, everyone. You have been listening to the great coach, Doug McLean. I hope you got a lot out of Doug's down-to-earth style and found a few ideas that you can bring to your own dinner table, locker room, or boardroom table for discussion. With a bit of luck, we'll get Doug back later in the year to talk about his new book. And just before we go, if you have any feedback, then please let us know. Just like Banana Man, who said, Terrific. James Kerr's thoughts on legacy and life gave me plenty to reflect on. Thanks, Banana Man. We love the interaction with the people around the world who listen. And so if you have any feedback or comments, please let us know. And if they're positive ones, then please spread them on social media for us. All the details on how to connect with us are in the show notes or on our website, thegreatcoachespodcast.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.